never know where life is going to take you. Some people know exactly where they want to be and go for it full throttle. Others just stumble upon it organically, and then there are those who just follow their intuition. This is a podcast about reaching your personal best through resilience, motivation, and passion. This is Mark My Words. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Mark My Words, a show where I talk to business owners, entrepreneurs, and everybody and everything else in between about their journey and how they got to where they're at today and what it took to get there. Always been very curious about how entrepreneurs and business owners get to where they are. And I am definitely interested in everything in between. Today, I especially have something that's a little more in between. I like to do things that are a little bit different, hopefully not too much of a departure. But today, I have a really cool guest, RJ Adler. He is the Business Development Director at Wheelpad, which I'm going to try to explain, and I'll certainly let the expert uh, correct me if I am wrong. But he, his uh, company that he is representing here they, I suppose they attach accessible bedroom and bathroom attachments to a house for those who need uh, assistance, where, you know, just moving uh, assistance. And I'm probably not vocalizing this near as well as RJ can. And I'm going to let him actually, instead of stumbling and bubbling over this after my 90-minute commute. I'll wake up a little bit. RJ, welcome to Mark My Words. I'm going to let you get into this and just kind of explain, because mentally I get it, but actually vocalizing it, I'm like, okay, I need to let the expert talk about it a little bit and uh, just kind of explain to the audience here what it is that you do and what Wheelpad does. So, RJ, welcome and take it away. Hey, Mark. Thanks so much. Um, and you did a great job. I, we, we do a new and different thing. And I'd say the only difference between uh, the way you described it and the way I tend to describe it is I've spent a long time talking to myself in a cold room in Vermont in the wintertime, trying to really you know, perfect what the, what it is I'm, I'm saying and what it is we're, we're doing. Um, so yeah, uh, Wheelpad, uh, we're based in Wilmington, Vermont, which is uh, in Southern Vermont. Uh, and we manufacture home attachments and backyard accessory dwelling units that can rapidly make any property universally accessible. So it's really just about creating mobile space if you need extra space uh, in your home to, you know, because you have a friend or a family member that's looking for a place to live, but they have mobility challenges, or you're looking to uh, remain in your home into your old age, if you are looking to recover at home after a traumatic accident, uh, Wheelpad, you know, brings all these services to your home that you would need in one of those instances. So I want to make it clear that it's the actual, uh, the actual real estate and the actual building of the unit and providing of the unit that is what Wheelpad's focus is. It's not necessarily providing health care itself, correct? Correct. We are about creating space and rapidly creating that space. So our, our smallest unit is, you know, you can think of it as something like a travel trailer. 
Uh, it has a, you know, it's, it's eight and a half feet wide. It's 24 feet long. So it can be hauled behind a regular pickup truck. It has a, um, you know, a bedroom and a bathroom in the unit. The bedroom is connected to the bathroom uh, with a, a lift track, a hoist track in the ceiling. And you, and that is compatible with almost any passive lift on the market. Um, the bathroom is a full wet room, meaning you don't have to transition into a shower. It's just, you roll in and, and you can take a shower uh, or there's plenty of space for an aid if washing assistance is needed. Um, but it's, it's just about rapidly creating that space uh, to be able to respond quickly to uh, folks that are, are in, a, in a situation where they need it yesterday. And just from the research I've done, and I know I listened to you talk a bit about all of this on an initial call we did, I, it's like, as far as I'm concerned, I've never heard of a service like this provided. And you may certainly know better than me, but I just think it's really cool and really unique. And this whole situation you're in, uh, it has kind of a unique story as to how you got involved with it. So normally I would talk to like entrepreneurs, like the ones who actually like started it up. That while that may not be you, I think what you're doing and what you're representing is like really cool. And maybe you can tell the story a little bit of how Wheelpad came about and how you wound up at Wheelpad. Yeah, totally. Um, so specifically sort of um, Wheelpad's founding story uh, and, and sort of how I found Wheelpad are are, are sort of from, from different angles. Um, the, the reason Wheelpad came about is uh, Julie and Joseph Sincata, uh, sorry, Julie Leinberger and Joseph Sincata were uh, in, in 2015, they had been running LineSync Architecture, which is an, you know, an architecture firm that specializes in green building and universal design. Uh, and they'd been, they'd been running that for uh, 25 years or so. And their godson, Riley, was in a traumatic accident. He fell into a pool. Nobody's sure what quite happened, how it happened, uh, but he became a quadriplegic. In his recovery, he was moving to Portland, Oregon to start a new job. And his recovery uh, was a little hindered because he couldn't find a place to live. He ended up having to live in a hotel for nine months while they bought and renovated a home that could be his because it was so hard for them to find an accessible apartment. And it would have been so much easier for him if you know something like the wheel pad had existed at that time, which was a dinner conversation during that time. Oh, hey, what if there had been this thing that you could have just rolled up and attached to your house? And that is sort of how Wheelpad came along uh, as, as a concept. And at that point, Julie and Joseph started building it out as an idea. Uh, and then, oh, you know, four and a half years later, I sent you a Facebook message about podcasts and here we are. Um, <laughs> So you, Mark, are a part of Wheelpad's story. Uh, apparently, I am. I'm happy to be a part of it. So as far as your story, so before Wheelpad, you were involved more in the solar industry. And I'm curious, first of all, to know, is was that something that you had like a passion for, that you found that? How, how did that come about and how... Did you wind up transitioning into this role? Yeah. Um, so going way back in, uh, you know, went to college, studied uh, green building and uh, uh, green building, theater, and education. Essentially, is what I what I studied in college. Um, I worked at a high school in Wyoming for a year and thought, hey, maybe I'm going to be a teacher, decided 
I didn't want to work in a classroom because I really enjoyed teaching people, but I wasn't so hot on the idea of working in a school. And I found my way from Wyoming to, a, you know, then relatively small solar energy company in Vermont called Sun Common. And we were on the cutting edge of, you know, this, what's, what's really turned into a, a large industry uh, as, you know, solar in Vermont, but also solar across the country. And, you know, driven by this idea of how can we use the market to help people make decisions to reduce our effect on the planet, you know, re reduce, reduce uh, the effects of climate change. And there was a lot of education in my job. I was a community organizer with Sun Common. So it was basically RJ, do whatever you need to, to tell people about solar and tell people about our products. And it was, it was just sort of this lab of, you know, I had, I had like a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a purse and a territory in Vermont, Addison County. And it was just do whatever you want to go tell people about solar. And it was so much fun. It was like marketing. I always said it was like the best part of, that, of, of owning a business, uh, all the good parts, but none of the bad parts. You know, I didn't have to deal with like payroll or HR or any, anything there. It was just like all glory. That sounds perfect to me. Yeah. Um, and uh, from, from Sun Common, I, I went to go work at my boyhood summer camp in, in fundraising. It was just down the road. Um, they were looking for an associate development director. And I thought, hey, like this is going to be a really interesting position, pretty similar. Uh, and then I, my move to Wheelpad kind of came because I was looking to, uh, I, I was looking to move to central Vermont to be with my then fiance, now wife. And uh, with that move had to come a career change. Um, and I, I decided I was gonna start my own business. Uh, I, I actually got a job somewhere, turned it down, and my business was gonna be, I'm gonna help folks in Vermont build backyard accessory dwelling units. So giving people you know, an, an easy platform to put uh, another unit of housing in their backyard, help solve the housing crunch in Vermont, uh, and give them an extra stream of rental income uh, from folks that want to, you know, folks that want to be a part of, uh, you know, be a part of Vermont, you know, newcomers to Vermont. We have a housing shortage in the state of Vermont, as a lot of places do elsewhere. Um, and I, I quickly realized that the, the business I was trying to start was ridiculously hard to start. It was kind of four businesses in one. And as a part of my research, I had found Wheelpad. And Wheelpad is a small but mighty company. And Julian Joseph said, you know, we just lost our marketing and sales guy. Would you be interested in working part-time with us doing marketing and sales? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I slowly realized that the vision that I had for my own company was, which was essentially to make it easier for Vermonters to build more quality housing in the state was going to be better built out and served by working for work for Wheelpad. And, you know, so I feel like you talked at the beginning about like, you know, entrepreneurs uh, and everything in between. And I definitely feel like I'm that everything. In, I am that everything in between. Um, but I, I also, I feel like that is in this large conversation of, you know, innovation and entrepreneurship in America, there, there is that side of things that's that's really not talked about. And, you know, it's sort of the, the teams that help people put these things together. It actually sounds to me like you gave something that Wheelpad might have been maybe missing just with your expertise. You all, you all agree with that? <laughs> I, I do. I mean, I guess I was thinking... You know, I was looking for expertise. I was looking for a team. I needed somebody that knew how to, you know, build one of these units and move one of these units. And that's what, you know, Wheelpad had, right? I knew how to talk to people. I know how to message things. I know how to, 
I, you know, I know how to sell somebody something, but I don't know how to make a thing to sell. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's like, it's this, it's this funny place to be in between, but I guess, you know, maybe this is just what I tell myself to sleep at night, but not everyone in America can be an entrepreneur because there need to be the people that are innovative, that are helping those entrepreneurs. And I feel like in, in that sense though, you don't need to start a company to be an entrepreneur. You can start something within the company you're working for. You can start, you can, you know, start a program uh, that is, you know, not connected to, you know, an organization. Um, you can, you know, just, just simply starting something and putting your time and effort into something makes you an entrepreneur. And I feel, you know, I love the, like, I love the, how I built this type of shows and, you know, you know, a good, like bootstrap story is always wonderful in America, but you're, it's not as though you're the only one wearing the boots. It's not as though there aren't other people that have helped you get to that point. Uh, so I guess that's, that's kind of the message I'm, I'm interested in and I want to drive home. And I, you know, when you, when you talk about your role, not only in this job, but your previous job, and the way you explain all that, how not everybody is actually an entrepreneur by definition, it makes me think about many of these entrepreneurs that I've met, they don't do everything. They don't do all of the graphics. They don't do all their social media. They hire people to do that for them. So everybody has their role. And I know for me, just using myself as an example, I have a podcast. I'm the host of this show. I'm also the producer of the show. But if you ask me, I'm not great at everything that I'm trying to do. I'm doing what I'm doing to, you know, just for now, doing everything, the social media, the marketing. But eventually, I'm going to want other people to take the wheel on some of that stuff because I can't do it all. It does take a team. And I think Wheelpad understood that. I think your previous company understood that. And it's, I can't even say the name of your company. Although that's the camp, the Keywagon camp. Keywagon. Yeah. Ah, got it. So I can say the name Suncommon because that's easy. That's yeah. easy enough. So, yeah, Suncommon, just from listening to you talk about both of these jobs and the impression I get is that people look at you as somebody who they can trust to take the wheel. Like you have this idea and boom, you just go from there. Have you ever looked at yourself in that light? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I like the idea of, there are two types of workers in this world. And uh, if, if you've ever read Crossing the Chasm, uh, you know, it's sort of, I think it's sort of in the, in the end of Crossing the Chasm, where it's like, there are people that get things started and there are people that keep things going. And both are really, really important. And I am so much so the former that, you know, I, I like you know, sort of MacGyvering my way through the, the startup phase and, and helping a business grow because there's a lot of, you know, I just, I get a lot of energy out of that. Um, but, you know, one of the things at Kiwaden uh, that, you know, I left, I left Kiwaden and I, I sort of realized about myself is that Kiwaden needs people that make things go. And that wasn't fulfilling to me. There are people where that is a fulfilling role. I'm not one of those people. So it's just sort of, you know, that's one of the reasons that I decided to go on and create a, 
and, and try to start my own business is because I wanted to, I wanted to create something and I'm still creating something. It's just not within, you know, the bounds of my own LLC, right? Um, it is, it is, you know, in collaboration with these two, you know, brilliant founders and a, a team of people that we're putting together and, you know, they're investing in me and I'm investing in them. And, you know, like, ho hopefully, hopefully it's going to go. And if it doesn't like, you know, at least my wife has a stable job. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I don't think you have anything to worry about if you ask me, but I do want to ask. So as the program director is the person with the keys overseeing everything you talk about the team and making it go and looking at the website it's like okay you have like the core team the founder you a few other folks but it obviously you have and i again could be wrong because this is also a, a real learning experience for me but mm -hmm. you have construction people maybe interior designers decorators like what what all are you managing to make all this happen yes yeah, so in-house you know people that are sort of on the on the wheel pad payroll as it were uh are really just the people that you're seeing on on the website uh and a few other and a few other contractors, uh, you know, that are that are doing bits and pieces here and there. Um, we have uh, so our sister company, LineSync Architecture, is still very much in in operation uh, and has been, you know, supporting the growth of of Wheelpad by, you know, very much supporting the founders, uh, you know, in their work financially, but also supporting the way that Wheelpad is able to grow and change, and we use. You know, so our, our, you know, Joseph, who is the chief architect, uh, the principal architect at Linesic Architecture is the inventor of the wheel pad. So each time we have a question about, you know, installing this wheel pad or that thing on the wheel pad or, hey, let's make this next change on the wheel pad, we're going back to Joseph, right? So the two are, are very, very intricately linked. Um, yeah, we've got a team of people that construct our units and we actually have four different, uh, well, uh, right now, three different uh, production facilities uh, that, that we work with throughout the United States. And these are not companies that, these are companies that we're, we're working with, we're paying them. Uh, so, uh, you know, B&B Tiny Homes in Adams, Massachusetts, Vermont in Vermont, uh, Indigo River Tiny Homes in Dallas, Texas. And we, you know, might be signing one in, um, in Oregon, knock on wood, um, you know, so these are folks that are able to build our units for us. So yeah, we got construction people, but they're not like just building wheel paths. They're building tiny homes for a lot of different people. We want to get to the point where we do have our own construction people, but we're not quite there yet. So from what you're telling me, this is stretching beyond just that New England region. You're you're reaching out to other parts of at least the United States, correct? Yeah. So the unit is eight and a half feet wide and 24 feet long and 13 and a half feet high. So that's the size. That's the very largest that it could possibly be uh, for anybody with a regular driver's license to haul it behind a, you know, a pickup truck. Uh, so just out of curiosity, do you, because you're so involved and your role is so critical and it is such a personal thing that you're doing for people, I'm going to say that you, do you get to actually meet the people that you're doing these units for? Uh, when they're close enough, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we definitely try to do in-person site visits when that's possible. We were in the process of installing our first wheel pad in Nebraska, which is the first wheel pad west of the Mississippi. You know, have I gotten the chance to meet those folks in person? No. 
but have I spent hours and hours and hours on the phone with them and learned about them and their lives and you know the the disease that has led to the disability in their family and been able to empathize with them on a level of they live in a rural area I live in a rural area you know I yeah totally like I I wake up in the you know early morning hours thinking about these people right because I, I care about them and I want to help them. And, uh, you know, my way of being able to do that is with this thing that I'm helping to spread out into the world. Uh, so, you know, especially in the era of the last 15 months to meet somebody, I don't think necessarily has to happen in, you know, in person, just so long as your minds are in the same place, kind of like, you know, what we're doing right now. So are there any stories in particular that really hit home that were really memorable that you're going to carry with you? I mean, excuse me, that's the coughing I was telling you about. That was probably from me drinking uh, soda before I started. But let me get back to the question. Uh, Are there any stories that really just touched you? And you'll, you know, just really stuck out. Of course. Yeah. I'd say, you know, almost, almost every sale is a story. Uh, and you're just working to tell that story. Uh, you know, certainly the story of the folks that I just, you know, told you about in Nebraska. Uh, it, that is a, that's, that's a more sad story, right? Um, you know, the, the, the bucolic rural living, which like my wife and I have decided we want to do, and gosh, what would happen one day if one of us were to lose our facilities uh, for one reason or another? Uh, it's, it's hard to, it's, it's, it's hard to see that as, as such a ready possibility uh, so, you know, it certainly stays with me. Am I happy that I get to be a part of a solution for people about it? Yes. Um, is it, is, is it an easy process the whole time? No, but that's what makes it fun. Uh, and do we learn something every sale we do? Yeah, totally. Do we, you know, are there happy stories? Of course. Uh, you know, happy stories are just those that end with people in a better place than you know, where they started out. And I'm very excited for the fact that this couple is going to be able to remain on their property. And, you know, the, they're, they're not going to be, the individual with a mobility challenge is not going to be forced to go, you know, go into a, go into a facility. He talked to me at length about how excited he was just to sit down on the new deck that's going to be built next to his wheel pad and look at the sunset because he just hasn't been able to look at the sunset since he's, you know, been inside. And, you know, so things like that are, are really happy stories and they stay with you for a long time. That's really incredible. I mean, that's such a awesome gift to be giving back to people. I mean, that's, that, that would make me feel incredibly fulfilled. And I'm sure it's having the same effect on you. It definitely is making it easy to get out of bed every morning. So. Awesome. So one thing I noticed when going back on your history, just uh, kind of your journey, it looked like at one point you were thinking about, or perhaps you did, earned a degree in psychology, although you, it sounded like you wound up teaching too. How much did learning and, you know, just sitting in on psychology classes and teaching, how much did all that kind of affect how you relate to people now and what you're doing now? Quite a bit. Uh you know, I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot that I learned about how people think, uh, how, you know, 
how you know I I think in little like tricks of the brain. Did I study psychology to a point that I am at all qualified to talk about it? God no. Um, you know I you know I studied psychology a, about enough to be bored with almost every episode of Hidden Brain that I listened to. Uh, the you know, the specific things that, I, that I've sort of carried forward from psychology tend to be problem-solving heuristics that I learned about, where, you know, oftentimes I will find myself getting stuck in a certain solution when there is an easier solution out there to be found. And, uh, you know, I've uh, quite a number of times actually with, with Joseph uh, from, from Wheelpad, I've, I've discussed these, you know, these problem solving heuristics and he's like, Oh, wow, that's, that's really cool. That's really interesting. And, and when I was in college, I was part of a green building competition called the solar decathlon. And, you know, I remember, you know, discussing the sort of psychological constructs of house building and, and the problems we're getting into there. And, you know, so, I mean, psychology, it like obviously weaves into everything. Uh, you know, I think it was just the, conduit by which I learned how to think and write and communicate. So, so what did you envision yourself doing at maybe pre-college, during college? Were you thinking all along about a psychology track or were you thinking about other things? Are you basically where you thought you might be when you look back to a certain time in your life? I know, definitely not. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing how little things and little decisions change the course of your life in a thousand ways. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to be a teacher and, you know, I thought I was gonna go into a classroom when I was, you know, leaving, you know, early college and, and certainly leaving college. And that's what I tried to do. Uh, and I found out that it's kind of not what I wanted to do, you know? So I then found my way to Wheelpad, or, or sorry, found my way to Sun Common and found this like new business atmosphere is one that I, you know, was really jazzed, jazzed about doing. Um, you know, I was, I've been incredibly fortunate in my life by nature of the fact that you know, like I am a straight, white, relatively well-to-do upper middle class male. Uh, and well, society was built by us and for us. And I think, you know, I've, I've done my best to recognize that and try to spread the opportunity that has been, been given to me to, to others, you know, through my work. Uh, and, you know, so it's, it's not to say that like my, like I didn't get here on my own, right? Um, you know, I'm, I'm only able to work for Wheelpad because I have a really supportive partner who is, you know, paying most of the bills, right? And I'm therefore doing most of the other stuff that, that needs to be done for us as a couple. Um, uh, you know, but certainly... I, I didn't know about socially responsible business when I was in college. When I learned about it and I worked at Suncommon, I was like, okay, this is something that I want to be a part of. Um, you know, but getting back to your question, like, did I imagine myself here? No way. Like I, uh, I applied to, I applied to work at Suncommon and they were making a decision between me and somebody else. And they ended up hiring both of us in, a, in the span of a three month period. But if they had hired the other person first, that, that very seriously would have changed the course of my life and you know, some of the most intimate friendships I have. And, you know, and that was like some random decision by three people in a room that didn't know me or the person terribly well. Like, and you know, I still probably would have gotten to this endpoint, but like with with very different circumstances. So backing up a little bit, what was it about teaching that you said, you know, this isn't for me, this isn't the path I should take? 
Um, I wasn't too keen on the administration of schools and sort of that, that divide between administrator and, and teacher. Uh, and, you know, then I also enjoyed, I, I really enjoyed outdoor education and experiential education and, you know, s- sales and marketing is, is a lot like that. So did you just learn a lot of what you know about marketing and all that you do? Did you learn that just as on the job? Did you ever take classes or consider it? Uh, A lot of it was on the job. You know, a lot of it was, uh, hey, I want to try, I want to try something you know, let's, you know, what, what do you, what do you think the best way is to do this, you know, in, um, being, being lucky enough to be at the, you know, be at the table. Right. Uh, so that's, that, that's how I learned a lot of it. And it's, it's funny though, because like, I didn't take any classes and, you know, in, I sort of had this recent experience where my wife and I were selling a horse and, you know, she's talking about how to sell the horse. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like that's, that's not how you administer a sale. Like, like these are the things, like this is a conversation, you know? And it was like, I was realizing like, oh, I guess I've kind of learned something in the last 10 years. Who the hell thought? (laughs) Um, So. Well, I also feel as if this is something that has become your passion. Like it's almost like you found your passion kind of like, almost, I hate to say by accident, but almost kind of sounds like that's how it turned out. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's only ever going to be so much control that you have over your life, right? Um, If three people sitting in a room, you know, like I was saying earlier, made the decision to hire the other person over you, you know, so you, you kind of got to roll with the punches. I mean, I'm, I go back to, I'm, I've been fortunate enough to be able to find my passion. You know, my, my biggest problem today was that like, you know, I couldn't find, you know, I couldn't find local asparagus at the co-op, right? Like I'm not worried about being hungry tomorrow. I'm not worried about where I'm going to sleep. I'm not worried about, you know, being unloved or misbegotten. Like, you know, I, you know, so I, I definitely look at like the happiness that I have in my life as being the result of a whole lot of other people's, you know, work. And, you know, I want to help other people also achieve that kind of happiness, right. By having a home that they want to live in, that they can live in, that they can stay in by, you know, being able to, to make, you know, have, have the freedom to make the choices that they want Um, you know, so I'm, I'm driven by that certainly, but, you know, it has been easier for me to be able to do those things because like I went to a great college and I have a great network and, you know, I'm, I'm always excited about, you know, meeting new people and talking to them about, you know, helping them advance what they want, want to be doing. And it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm very fortunate to be able to be in a position to do that. So now that you're in this position and you've had a few years to be a part of it and get your feet kind of wet for lack of a better way to put that, what, I mean, I know you are not the uh, business owner in the situation, but do you have a vision and uh, what are your goals moving forward? What's the company's goals? Um, my vision is to increase the amount of homes that are accessible in America. And, you know, that is, that is done in a lot of ways, right? Um, you know, certainly every economic development conversation I've ever had in Vermont has ended with, well, but where are the people going to live? And, 
you know, so our housing shortage is is set up in such a way that like we need places, you know, we, we just literally need the houses to be built in the right place. And, you know, that's, that is the, that is the bedrock of so much of the happiness that has been my life has basically been stable housing. Um, you know, so how, how can we create that? And, you know, also like I, I guess I'm a goddamn hippie and I believe in climate change and, you know, helping people be in the place they want to be so they don't have to move around as much. So they don't have to commute as much. Like I, I'm an optimist to a fault sometimes. And there are certain things, you know, certain benefits I see of things like the pandemic. Everyone is so much used to working at home or working remotely now that gosh, what if we're going to be able to, you know, have a more spread out community. You know, what if it's, you know, the, the state of Vermont is seeing more people moving back to it because of the pandemic. And it's like, okay, hey, that's pretty cool. Like maybe that means people are gonna be able to take their, you know, ideas and lives and be able to live more where they want. Um, so yeah, that's my vision. And that was actually something that I was wondering about because I know that environmental factors definitely are somewhere in the core of what you're about. And I was wondering if that combined with what you're doing with Wheelpad, if you were trying to put the two together, and it kind of sounds like that is at least a little bit of a factor. Would you say that that's correct, that you're trying to use some of that uh, passion and integrate into Wheelpad? Most certainly, right? So, I mean, on a sort of like tailpipe end of, of Wheelpad, not that there's a motor in it, but, you know, it is, it is a highly efficient unit. It's also really small, so it's easy to be efficient when you're small with, with energy use and that kind of thing. But also, let's say you've got two people and, uh, you know, one year apart, they both have an accident such that they need to recover at home for nine months and they need, they need, you know, an accessible bathroom, uh, on their home. Well, the first person can use the wheel pad and maybe they lease it. Maybe they buy it and sell it back to wheel pad. And then the second person can use the wheel pad. You've just taken all the embodied energy that goes into building a bathroom and you know a 200 square foot home attachment, all the like energy that went into creating like the shower head, the sink, the wood, the planking on the ceiling, like all that stuff, which is usually only you know benefited once, all that embodied energy is used again, right? So you've just cut down on the you know, need for the world to create more stuff. And I have no idea what the like overall climate impact is of that kind of thing. But this is like, this is where I've been like really jamming on in my brain lately is like, like every little thing we do and touch, like it took energy to get it to you. Right. And, and, you know, how can you, you know, that it makes, it's like, obviously like reduce, reuse, recycle. It's like that reuse part. I'm like, huh, like that's, there's, there's so much in there. Uh, and that's tired. It's tired messaging, reduce, reuse, recycle. Right. But like, right. you know, it's, it's, it's still such a great message to, you know, really, you know, dig into and think about. Well, speaking of digging into and what goes into a wheel pad unit, I see a little bit as far as like, you know, you get bedroom, bathroom, now, are these, like, individually customized? Is there, hey, I don't want to use the word formula because I feel like that's such a bad word in this case, but is there, like, a layout? I think layout would be better. Like, are there certain layouts? Do you customize per the individual? How do you guys go about that? We can certainly provide a customized unit if that's what the individual is looking for we have a ready to go off the shelf unit that is beautifully designed, 
has been thought, you know, has been very vigorously and tirelessly had every detail sort of thought over from a perspective of how is this going to be, you know, best for the end user that may use a wheelchair every day uh, to how is this going to be just a cool homey design? How do we make this feel like somebody's house and not like somebody's going into a hospital? You know, and, and that's the expertise of, you know, somebody with 30 years of architecture experience like Julian Joseph. Um, but for the person that says like, oh, I do want to customize something. Well, of course, like we're building, you know, we're, we're scrambling the omelet. We're happy to put whatever you want in it type of thing. Uh, but we do have, you know, ready off the shelf uh, units that can be used in response because the other, the other thing is, is when somebody needs one of these units because, you know, they got in a car accident 10 days ago and they're going to be in the hospital for another two weeks and then where are they going to go, right? They don't want to make the decision of, huh, what trim do we want in the new edition, right? Like they just want that new edition. Fair so, enough. Um, so I guess yes and is really the answer to your question. So functionality in this case certainly comes over, you know, the being eye-pleasing and having the right trim and all that. So that, I guess that would be uh, pretty self-explanatory, I guess. Not at all. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I don't believe in dumb questions. Um, and I think that, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, I get that question all the time from people, right? Like, can I customize this? Fair enough. I mean, I just built a house like four or five years ago. Cool. So listening to all this, it's like, you know, oh, how do they customize it? And overlooking, obviously, you know, you got people going through life-changing events. That's probably not the first thing on most people's minds. So, Right. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we've definitely like, we've lost business because people weren't in enough of a rush to need, you know, our product. Oh, wow. You know, so, you know, they, they maybe talked to a contractor about connecting it and the contractor was like, you know, I could probably do this for you, you know, a little bit cheaper, a little bit more customized and like, we've lost the business and you know what? I, I like, yes, as a, as a business person, I do not want to lose the ability to, uh, you know, sell something to somebody, but at the same time, from the broader perspective of the social mission of Wheelpad, that means that there's another house out there that is now universally accessible because a family in Connecticut decided to make it so for their son to have a little bit more independence, uh, you know, and, and that's great, you know, um, and I, you know, for the forward-thinking people out there that don't need my products because, you know, they're going to do their home edition anyway, it's still fulfilling the mission of Wheelpad to be able to make that change. Um, so. So with all this and your mission being so philanthropic, have you thought about maybe expanding on that in, you know, whether it's in you know, association with Wheelpad or on your own? Have you ever thought about doing like something additional or is this uh, job just taking up that much space in your world that there's just maybe no more time? Um, I definitely say it's, it's more the latter, but you know, I've got, I've got my team. I don't, you know, if I, if, if I come up with a new idea, you know, every, uh, you know, Julie and I, we talk, well, I mean, almost daily. Right. But also, you know, at least every Tuesday we have our sort of official meeting. And, you know, one of the things that's always on the agenda is the idea bank. And that is just a place to, to keep the, you know, keep the ideas rolling. And, you know, the, I, I had a, uh, another mentor of mine who was a colleague, um, both uh, at Kiwaden, but also um, 
with the, uh, I was on the board of the Middlebury Food Cooperative and he was the president. This guy, his name's Tam Stewart. Um, and he always talked about the three different types of work. And, you know, the mix of the types of work, you know, type one is like paying the bills. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's you know, checking your email. It's, it's like the things that just need to happen. You know, it's, it's like, it's like making your car payment. Like if you don't do this, nothing else is going to be possible. Um, type two is, hey, we've got this like event coming up. We need to, you know, plan the event. What's the theme going to be? How are we going to get people there? How are we going to entertain people while they're there? And, and that has like somewhat of an end goal in mind, right? Uh, type three is like, we have no end goal, but we just want to like, have a have an open-ended conversation about the importance of whatever and that's type three work and you know you need a balance of all types of work to you know have a happy life right um and and have a happy employment but type three work if it wasn't for type three work there would be none of the other types of work possible because no one would have ever dreamed up oh we should have that webinar on caregiving no one is ever going to dream up, oh, we should build a home attachment for people that, you know, need their homes to be universally accessible. Um, so, and it's also like, I think about this a lot where like everything needs to be started, right? Like, you know, I read a, I read a biography on Alexander Hamilton, right? And like the founding fathers were, in, you know, incredible entrepreneurs, right? They were starting something from scratch. And, you know, they were also incredible federal bureaucrats because they were kind of the founding federal bureaucrats, right? But like, you know, those, those were sort of the, the entrepreneurs of their day. It's, you know, they just needed to create the society, right? Um, and I, I don't mean to also just say fathers, right? Because there were a lot of women in there too. Uh, and, and, you know, you name it, so. I never actually thought this might be kind of weird, but I never thought of the founding fathers as entrepreneurs, but essentially that's, I suppose, is what they were, so. Yeah, listen to, uh, um, I'm or read, I, I don't know, I'm a millennial, I don't read books. Um, <laughs> uh, but the, the Alexander Hamilton biography uh, you know, if you have a good, it sounds like you have a 90 minute drive, right? So you'll, it's like 36 hours of, of, of stuff. Uh, holy moly. You know, that's, it's, and yeah. Uh, that, that's a lot of talking to listen to. I listen to talking all day, so I would have to really be in the mood, but that, that does sound very interesting. And I kind of appreciate the, thought there on just the founding fathers you talk all the time about founding fathers and how they build up the country but you don't think about the fact or at least I didn't think of the fact that they, they were entrepreneurs like just never really thought of it that way and so that's that's really cool uh way to view it and I guess a logical way to look at it well I mean it's just like any other perspective taking right like the you know and, and it's and it's like I was saying earlier like you don't have to start a you know organization you know a, a for-profit company to be an entrepreneur right you can start you know a nonprofit. you can start a, a program within your you know like like there's somewhere today a federal bureaucrat is starting a new program or dreaming up a new program that they can you know, have within the IRS to make people's taxes go easier. Now, oh my God, yawn, I would fall asleep because I'm not the type of person that wants to do that work. But that individual is just knowing how to use their resources to create something out of, you know, what wasn't there before. And they're, they're being able to do that is, is cool and should be celebrated in, in the same kinds of podcasts as, and, and books and things and, and shark tanks as the rest of our, you know, the, the rest of those of us that think, you know, you know, we're so important to be, you know, have our stories told. 
And I totally agree with that. And this, again, is why, I mean, I, I feel like I say this every other episode, but shouldn't just say definitively this is why. There's a lot of reasons why I do this podcast, but I think one of the reasons I do this podcast is to shed a light on the possibilities and to shed a light on all different types of entrepreneurs and roles. And I know that being kind of like on the outside of it, meeting so many people like you, <coughs> excuse me, boy, the coughing fits are just showing up in this episode here. Uh, getting back to my thought. So, yeah, just basically the reason that I like doing this show so much is just meeting all the different people who are doing so many different things that not only changes their life, changes others, it leaves a real impact. It kind of changes things up from uh, maybe not so much in your case, although you may not necessarily feel like you work a nine-to-five, but it kind of gets people to see that there's more than just climbing, you know, than just climbing the corporate ladder and going through the motions. You can find something out there that really fulfills you and is a passion. And for me, that's what it's all about because I went to college with a real mindset of, okay, I want to go for broadcasting and media, and it's something I'm still very passionate about, but I definitely think my interests have shifted a lot, and mm-hmm. the way I see things has really shifted, because I used to dream about doing stuff like this, like this podcast, public speaking, creating, and being creative, but I was like, uh, I... I may not have the right voice or the right look or whatever, just imposter syndrome getting right in there and just not believing that I can create something and carry that and have it represent myself. And while this company may not be yours per se, I think the personality behind it, a lot of it, is obviously driven by you. You've been given the keys. I mean, obviously your bosses have a say in that, but I mean, they entrust in you. They see your passion and intelligence and you're, you're driving the car or the ship or whatever vehicle you want to use, hopefully solar powered. Yeah. I, and you know, but I also think that it's, you know, if I look at, if I look at sort of the way your podcast works, right. I mean, you're not just talking to the, you know, the Steve Jobs of the world. Now, if you had a conversation with Steve Jobs within the last 10 years, I think everyone would be really excited. Um, Me too. But, um, you know, because he hasn't been having many conversations lately. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, focusing on, you know, like ex- expanding it out, right? Like it's, it's, you know, your audience, if I guess, you know, if you're, you're, you're going to reach people by speaking to them and speaking to your audience, you know, if, if you're just trying to speak to entrepreneurs, like you got a pretty small audience, right? But like, I would, I would imagine that almost everybody in, in, you know, whatever they decide to do with their day has, has created something, be it an event or an organization or a program within an organization or what have you, right? Like that, you know, you'll speak to more people by, you know, by making the regular person seem more like an entrepreneur and, you know, or, or, or to show that an entrepreneur can be, you know, somebody, it, it doesn't just have to be these, like, you know, the, the, these, this one-time story. 
Well, I always tell people that my interpretation, what I believed an entrepreneur was, were people like Bill Gates and, you know, Steve Jobs of the world. And once I really got a little more entrenched in the online world, like being on LinkedIn, obviously, and meeting so many folks from that part of social media and just meeting more people in general, it's made me realize that, look, and this is, I guess, one of the many things that I want people to get out of this podcast is that they're all types of entrepreneurs and all different ways to define it. And that is why somebody like you is on this show today because I want to show people that, you know, this guy has a real foundation and a lot of talent and he's making things happen. He's making a huge difference and is almost being very, I mean, you are being very entrepreneurial in what you do. It's you're, you're just not actually, you know, physically paying people and doing some of that stuff. Although you could correct me, maybe you are, but it sounded like from earlier, you don't want to do that. <laughs> well, it's not that I don't want to do that. It's just that, you know, it's, you know, if I were in a different situation, maybe I would have started my own company right now, but it's like, this is just like where I'm at and what I feel like is, is needed out there. Right. Uh, so, uh, so, so do you see yourself uh, maybe starting your own thing in the future? What does the future look like for you? Um, I always, my joke is always that like, I'm pretty sure I know what I'm having for dinner tomorrow, but after that things get fuzzy. Um, and it's like, I, I, I don't know, you know, like I know that like, you know, if, if there is a point at which I get, you know, I'm no longer passionate about helping to build a will pad that like, I'll probably look for something else, you know, and, you know, it'll probably be in like 15 years and Polly's gonna be like, God damn it. Like we were like stable and happy and you were doing this thing and now you're going to go try to start something ridiculous again. And like, I don't know, maybe I'll have a better track record at that point. Um, Polly's my wife. I, uh, by the way, uh, if I hadn't mentioned it already, I, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I, I, yes, I imagine that I will go on to start something else if I am fortunate enough to have, you know, health and long life and the ability to continue pursuing what I want to. Well, as we're getting to the end of our episode and our time here, I want to just give you a chance to tell everybody how they can learn more about Wheelpad. Wheelpad.com uh, is, is, is the best way, right? Um, but of course, we are also can be found on Facebook, facebook.com slash wheelpad, uh, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, for all my Vermont locals out there, Front Porch Forum, uh, which is a local listserv that we have. Um, and, you know, for anybody that's interested in, you know, chatting, you know, about Wheelpad or entrepreneurship or gosh, anything, um, shoot me an email, rj at wheelpad.com. Perfect. That's a email address I'm very familiar with at this point. So is there anything as the person representing Wheelpad, is there anything that you would like to say on on Wheelpad's behalf, on your boss's behalf before we wrap up that maybe we didn't say or left unasked? I would just say, look at your world and imagine if you could get around it in a wheelchair and what the, and what might be hard about that. And think about that with every change that you make to 
your living space, if you're fortunate to be able to make changes to that space. Uh, and, and think about, you know, the, you know, just general preparedness of, you know, what if, what happens if I have to take care of, of somebody else? Uh, that's, you know, again, not, this isn't to say like, think about it and then go buy a wheel pad, right? Like, yes, that would be wonderful. Um, however, it would also be wonderful if more folks in America were thinking about, you know, how everybody in America could quite literally get to the table. Wow. Well, I am going to leave it at that as our last word. RJ, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to talk to me on this show. And thank you for putting up with my commute and my schedule and being flexible. That was really amazing of you. And I appreciate hearing your, not only your story, but Wheelpad's story. I think what you and Wheelpad are doing is amazing. And I hope people dig into this more and learn more and reach out. I think it's a really cool, unique business that you guys are running. So certainly something I personally have ever seen or heard of. And I'm all about being unique and different and bringing something new to the table. So it was awesome to have you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Mark. And I have to say, like, you're bringing something unique to the table. This is this is a, a, a cool opportunity to hear from relatively regular people. Yeah, and that's really what it's all about for me. I'm not necessarily... <laughs> I wish I would stop coughing, for one thing. Uh, so I'm not necessarily looking to get the most famous or glamorous people. I just want to have real conversations with real people and hopefully not cough like four times in an episode. And which I'm getting to that time of year. Last year, did a few episodes in the spring and I started doing the same thing I did in this episode. I'm like, oh no. So hopefully I'll figure out a way to get past that. But nonetheless, that is neither here nor there because our time is up. And I thank you again, RJ Adler. He is the business development director at Wheelpad. And I thank you. I'm Mark Schmidt. This is Mark My Words. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Thank you, everybody.